We are beginning a series called God's at War. This week we are exploring the false god, God of pleasure. In the past, some of the Christian traditions have taught that pleasure is wrong. The Bible does not say that. The Bible gave us massive senses. God gave us massive senses to experience pleasure. And God is definitely not anti-pleasure. And I'm not saying that at all today. But pleasure becomes a problem when it becomes an idol. God wants to be our first pleasure, our delight, our joy. First to be sought. You see, the enemy tempts us to pursue escapes, right? Retail therapy. Comfort food and comfort drink. Binge watching TV shows. Visiting inappropriate websites. And the list can go on and on and on, right? Where do you turn? When the hurting, or when you need comfort, where do you turn? Fill in that blank. If it's something besides God, then that's a false God. It's likely an idol. Today, with God's help, we have to dethrone that idol, especially the idol of pleasure. This series we're going to examine at the core of how we do that. How do we worship the one true God? For your question is this. What are some of the gods that you're struggling with? What are some of the gods at war? Where is the tension within you? You see, God wants us to choose him. Choose this day whom you shall serve. Joshua said that in our Bible reading plan this past week. Joshua 24, 15. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. It's so easy for us to pursue the God of pleasure, to choose something other than God. We continually find ourselves bowing down to what feels good, right? After all, it's the mantra of our culture. If it feels good, just go ahead and do it, Jonathan. You have an appetite, feed it. If you have an itch, scratch it. If you have a pleasure or a desire, then just go ahead and satisfy it. And compromise all the time. I know it. I've done it. So these gods of pleasure are everywhere. And they are some of the most difficult to defeat. In part, maybe because many of these gods are, they're not evil or they're not wrong in themselves. But instead they were gifts given by God himself. And we turned those gifts into idols. We took that gift that God gave us. And we turned it into a primary competition with God. Imagine if you're a parent and you buy your your son a PlayStation 5. Folks, I want to get you, this is a PlayStation 5. You take it at home, you take it home, you give it to your child. Your child is ecstatic. They unwrap it. They 
hook it up without instructions, right? No directions needed. They give you lots of hugs. They're ecstatic, and they start playing it. They put the disc in. They start playing it. And then they continue to play it and play it and play it till all they want to do is play that console. And they complain when they don't have all the attachments and things to go along with it. And finally, you come home from work one day, and you want to spend time with your child. But your child doesn't want to spend time with you because they would rather be playing that thing. What happened? The gift replaced the giver. At least practically speaking, the gift means more to the person than the one who gave it. This is what we've done with many gifts of pleasure that God has given to us for us to enjoy. We've turned them in to our soul pursuit. We've turned them in to God's. We've made them his competition. These are the gods that can be hardest to identify and destroy. Listen to these words from John uh, Piper. This is, I read this and I went, hallelujah, out. The greatest enemy for God is not a poison, but an apple pie. It's not a banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for the banquet of heaven, but endless nibbling at the table of the world. It's not the X-rated video, but the primetime dribble of triviality we drink in every night. The greatest adversary of love to God is not his enemy, but his gifts. The most deadly appetites are not for the poison of evil, but for the simple pleasures of earth. For when these replace an appetite for God himself, the idolatry is scarcely recognizable. These are not evil in themselves. These are not vices. These are gifts of God. They are your basic meat and potatoes, coffee, gardening, reading, decorating, traveling, investing, TV watching, and internet surfing, shopping, and exercising, collecting, and talking. All of them can become deadly substitutes for God. Do you see how these can be so dangerous? They're gifts. But oftentimes, God himself, we've turned them into competition with him. So I want to talk to you about a competition today that God sets up. It's Elijah versus the prophets of Baal. Let's begin this story, and we have to look at King Ahab. 1 Kings 16.29 Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel. He reigned in Samaria over Israel for 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. There had been pretty, some pretty evil kings before Ahab, but he was one of the most evil. The background. Ahab married a woman named Jezebel. We've heard that, that term before, Jezebel, that name. It's usually negative with that word, that name. She was the princess of the Sidonians, and she comes from a foreign nation. And Ahab immediately puts her in charge of his religious cabinet. So what does she do? She finds all of the prophets of Israel, and she slaughters them. She has them executed. And then Jezebel, she sets up an altar to Baal. 
the primary god of that land. She, in fact, builds a temple to Baal in the northern kingdom of Israel. And God has enough of it, my friends. He calls the prophet Elijah, and he says to Elijah, I want you to go to Ahab, and I want you to deliver a message to him. So we read about it in 1 Kings 17, verse 1. Elijah says to the king, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain for the next few years except at my word. So what does Elijah do? He proclaims there will be a drought. The drought is coming, Ahab. So here's what you have to understand, my friends. God is challenging Baal. They worshipped Baal because he was the god of weather. He was the god of rain. And so God looks at Israel and says, see this primary god that you're worshipping? He's the god of rain, and so I'm going to shut off the rain. All right, I'm going to withhold that rain. This is something I think oftentimes the Lord does. He sees an area in our lives that becomes too important to us. In fact, more important than him. And he withdraws his blessing from that area. Does that sound familiar to some of you? Because some of us maybe have frustrations in areas of our life. Maybe God has said, okay, then I'll remove my hand of blessing from you in that area since I'm not the Lord of that area in your life. So don't be surprised when you put your work ahead of God, your finances ahead of God, you put your business ahead of God, you put your happiness ahead of God. Don't be surprised in those areas. Those areas become a greatest frustration for you because God said, okay, that's your bail. Okay, I won't send the rain of blessing. So here's a question this morning. What is the bail in your life? Is there an area that has become too important to where you're now experiencing God withholding that blessing in that area? But if you turn that area over to him and allow him to take that area and make him Lord of that area, your life will experience the reign of God. R-E-I-G-N and R-A-I-N. The reign of God. I've seen this as a pastor many times in ministry. One example, several months ago, I spoke to a young woman, and she, wanted, she didn't want anything else but a husband. And she wanted children. And she waited for years and years, desperately play, praying, God, please send one, some, someone into my life. I want to be married. And it became her sole pursuit. It's my dream to be a wife. It's my dream to be a mother. And it came to a point where she eventually came under conviction for that. And I talked to her about it. I said, this has become your drive. This has become an idol. And that conviction came under her and she prayed and let it go. And God took that area in her life and eventually, not within just several days, sent someone, someone into her life. She stopped worshiping Baal, and God sent rain in that area of her life. I officiated her wedding in October. 
Now don't let now don't let me let me be really clear here. This is not a guaranteed formula, my friends. Okay, it's not something where you can go and say to God, "I'm going to make you the first in my life so that you can bring someone into my life." It doesn't work that way. God knows our hearts. But I wonder how often we are missing out on God's blessing in certain area of our lives because we've made other things far way too more important. We have to give that to him so that he can send the rain of blessing. So God sends Elijah and he says to the king, listen, there's going to be this drought in the land. A few years pass. No rain. God's made his point. He sends Elijah back to Ahab. And basically, Elijah sets up what you could call a cage match between God and the gods of Baal. In 1 Kings 18, 19, Elijah goes to Ahab and said, Now summon the people of Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring 450 uh, prophets of Baal and 450 uh, prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent the word throughout all Israel. He assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Now, folks, Mount Carmel in the ancient times was a place where God was worshipped. And there were sacrifices made to the God years and years and years. So they decide to meet on Mount Carmel. In verse 21, it says, Elijah went before all the people. So he stands in front of the crowd, probably thousands and thousands of people. And this is what he says to them. How long will you waver between two opinions? How long are you going to go back and forth? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if it's Baal, follow him. But the people said nothing, nothing. What? They said nothing. Now you have to ask yourself why. Why were they silent? You know, I see this in myself. I've been silent when God has said, choose, Jonathan. They were silent because they didn't want to choose. They wanted both, you see. They thought it was best just to say nothing at all. They wanted, they wanted Baal instead of God. They would have said, well, we choose Baal. If they wanted God instead of God, or if they wanted God, they would have chose God. But God calls Elijah to say, choose, choose, my friends. But they say nothing. We don't like to be forced to choose, do we? We like that fence walking, don't we? We like to teeter and totter. Have we become comfortable with our compromise? You see, you don't want to have to choose between God and maybe your job or lifestyle. You don't want to have to choose between God and food and drink. You don't want to have to choose between God and maybe your house renovation. You don't want to have to choose between God and golf. You don't want to have to choose between God and the Bengals. You don't want to have to choose between God and your phone. You don't want to have to choose between God and the affair. It could be anything. We want both. But God is saying, my son... My daughter, choose me above all. You see, many of things of these things we share our heart in our heart are not evil or wrong, but when these good things, these good things that God gives to us become first, it becomes an idol, and God won't have it. If you think you're sharing God with something else in your heart, God's not sitting there. There's only one throne. 
And there are not two seats in that throne. He wants you to choose, and God is a very jealous God. So the stage is set. Let's watch God work. The people are watching to see who's going to win this great battle between the prophets of Baal and God's, uh, or Elijah. And so one prophet Elijah is utilizing, he's watching these prophets of Baal. 850 of these false prophets. And you know, there's a lot of excitement. There's probably a wave going on in the crowd around. And, then, and it's, it's really exciting on Mount Carmel. So let's look what it says here. 1 Kings 18, 25 through 26. Elijah says to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls, prepare it first. Since there are so many of you, Call on the name of your God, but do not light a fire. So they took the bowl given to them, and they prepared it. You see, he's giving them home court advantage. He's giving them the ball first. Since there are so many of you, call on the name of your God, but don't light the fire. Let your God consume the sacrifice supernaturally with his fire. So the bowl is prepped. They call on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us. And they're dancing around the altar. They're getting, trying to get Baal's attention. At noon, Elijah starts to taunt them. He starts trash-talking, friends. Elijah is awesome. I love it. He's saying so confidently because God is the God, the living God that he worships. He says, shout louder. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he is in deep thought or busy. That's a very kind translation here. Really, it says in the scriptures that he, your God might be relieving himself somewhere. Maybe he's traveling. Maybe he's sleeping. How do you awake him? And they shout all the louder. Soon, they start cutting themselves. So their blood flows. They're still trying to get the attention of Baal. And they're cutting themselves. And the, the blood is flowing. Do you get the picture here? They dance, they shout, eventually they find themselves in this blood and trying to get the attention, hoping for some kind of response. There is nothing. Now our instinct is to say, oh, how primitive that is. But I think we bleed for our gods too. Have we bled for the God of pleasure? Let me explain this. Have you sacrificed your pleasure? Or have you sacrificed your family for the God of pleasure? Have you sacrificed your career? Have you sacrificed your finances? Have you sacrificed your future? Have you sacrificed your reputation? Have you sacrificed your relationship with God for this God of pleasure? We all, at times, bleed for these gods. Maybe you've bled for the pleasure of getting drunk every night. Maybe you sacrificed your marriage to that God. Maybe you've bled for the pleasure of food and you sacrificed your health for that God. Maybe you've bled for the entertainment of maybe watching things that you shouldn't be, shows or inappropriate websites, and you sacrificed your relationship with your wife or your husband for that God. And so we bleed. And we still bleed for those gods. 1 King 18.29 says, Midday passed, they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice, but there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. 
And that's what happens with these false gods. There's nothing there. There's not fulfillment and purpose. So we try. They try. And the altar doesn't light up. So now it's Elijah's turn. Elijah doesn't build a new altar. He rebuilds an old altar. In other words, he reuses those stones that once had been used to build altars to worship God from years past. He rebuilds the altar. He sacrificed the cow. He digs a, a trench around that altar. And he, asks, he has people bring gallons and gallons and gallons of water. He floods the altar. He floods it until the trench around that altar fills up with water. And then this is Elijah's way of saying, my, my God can beat your God with both hands tied behind his back. That's what he's doing. After them been dancing all morning, been chanting, pleading, cutting by these false prophets, Elijah steps forward, my friends. He doesn't dance. He doesn't flail on the ground. Instead, he prays a very simple and humble prayer, a prayer that we can learn from. Here it is. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you are Lord, our God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. So his motivation is on the glory of God, my friends, and it's beautiful. His motivation is, is that these people will be brought back from their idols back to him. Look at what happens. 1 Kings 18, 38, 39. And the fire of the Lord fell, burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, licked up all the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord he is God, the Lord, he is God. Boom, fire falls, everything is consumed. And the people see the power and they fall on their faces. They destroy their false idols, in fact. And then they take those 850 false prophets, the prophets of Baal, and they take them down to the river and they slaughter them. They turn to God himself. They put back his place, his rightful place on the throne of their hearts. And God is seated there once more, and revival spreads in that area. And this is a challenge for us, my friends, today. How do we defeat this God of pleasure? Here it is. God, me, God must become your single first pleasure. When God is your greatest pleasure, all the lesser gods of pleasure just fade away. The Bible says in Psalm 37, 4, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You see, the desires of your heart, when God is seated on that throne, the good gifts of God are given in ways, are given in ways that are good and beneficial for you to be your best, for you to experience all the blessings of life. So we find our pleasure in God. In a lot of ways, we can find our pleasure in him, in living out his will, to love him, 
to love others more than we can ever possibly imagine, my friends. And one of the best things that we can do, my friends, is pray to him daily and come here every Sunday and worship him so that we can keep those idols at bay. That's what God so desires. And as we respond to God for who he is and what he has done for us, we experience the pleasure of being his children, and he becomes our greatest pleasure. Is God your greatest affection? How can that happen? By accepting Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, putting your whole trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as your Lord. Joshua says, choose this day whom you shall serve. Elijah says, how long are you going to go back and forth? Jesus says, come to me. And we have to make Christ the Lord of our lives. We have to choose this day whom we shall serve. And what will happen? God recalibrates our lives, our relationships, and the things we own. It's not enough to remove the false god. It must be replaced with the one true God. Let us pray. Almighty God, we confess this day that we have traded the gifts you have given to us for you. God, we pray that you would show us the path of putting you first on the throne of our hearts. We pray that we can experience this in every area of our lives and have you reign and live over us and through us. God, be with our priorities, the big things, the small things. And may our lives be filled with your leadership and your guidance and priorities. We love you and we thank you for being the one true God. Reign in us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.